it's the nature of entrepreneurs to be going a thousand directions at once. And the, the real success comes in the ability to rein that in and focus on one or two at a time. I'm running inexpensive ads to my free experience so that I can then talk to them more without having to spend that money on advertising. Because a conversion ad is much more expensive than an engagement ad or, you know, just, hey, notice me kind of an ad. It really is the fundamentals, you know, identify the, the who it's for, what's their problem, agitate the the problem a little bit and then offer a solution. If you want to build a legitimate, profitable online business without shiny objects, without the hypey gimmicks, and without the stress and overwhelm, if you want to make more money without having to be present online all day, every day, pumping out content that nobody sees and hustling DMs to generate leads and sales, then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Digital Trailblazer Podcast, your online business university, where you'll learn how ordinary people start from ground zero with no influence, no email list or audience to sell to, and no business or marketing experience, and go from working nine to five jobs to building successful six and seven figure online businesses and all the steps in between. Learn the strategies that worked and what didn't, learn the mistakes that they made and how to avoid them, and then learn their plans for scaling their businesses and taking things to the next level all so that you can build your business faster and easier and make more money without sacrificing the things that are important to you in your life. I'm your host, Leah Ray Getz, and with me is my husband, Todd. Now let's get to it with today's guest. Well, welcome, Gordon Firebrook. We're so excited to have you here today. Give our guests a little bit of an introduction on who you are and what you're about. Well, hey, you guys, it's great to be here. Thanks. Uh, as you said, I'm Gordon Firemark. I am a, an entertainment media and business lawyer. I practice in Los Angeles, and I've been doing it for about 30 years, helping all kinds of entrepreneurs in the creative spaces do their thing and do it safely. That is awesome. So how did you get started, like, number one, with podcasting in general, but like bringing yourself online in the mix? Yeah. Well, so when I started my practice, I, I've always been a techie geek and I've been into, you know, that kind of stuff. And my background in was in entertainment first. I was I, I grew up working in theater and then got into film and television. And uh, only becoming a lawyer was not an afterthought, but it was late in, in my scholastic career that I decided to do that. And uh, when I started my practice, I was looking for ways to market. And the traditional ways lawyers market is through seminars and uh, printed newsletters. Well, I was doing a printed newsletter, but I just didn't like sitting down to write it all that much. So I was looking for other ways. And when this podcasting thing emerged in around 2004, 2005, uh, I decided, well, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll try that. I got asked to be a guest on a couple of shows. And pretty soon I had my own podcast called Entertainment Law Update. That's been going for about 15 years now. And um, uh, yeah, my co-host and I uh, have used it as a really effective tool to position us as experts in our field. And among, I made a tactical mistake in the nature of the show. So we're training our competition, but they also are a good source of referrals. So um, uh, it's worked out very nicely for us and, and led to a lot of recognition. And when we got started doing the show, I realized, well, I better figure out the legal side. And uh, being an entertainment lawyer, I kind of knew the basics, but I wanted to go and, you know, fine tune things for the, this podcasting medium. Well, there wasn't anything. So I wrote a book. <laughs> and when you write a book, that makes you the expert. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> no, I love that. I honestly didn't even realize podcasts were around for that long. Yeah, they, they first kicked in around 2005 and they sort of really started gaining momentum well, it, it took another eight or nine years for them to really right. gain momentum with, you know, serial and the big true crime shows and things like that. Very, very interesting. So, I mean, I wish I 15 years ago had known anything about podcasting <laughs> or, I mean, 
be it, yes, that that is powerful to be at the beginning, you know, right when everything takes off. So that's really, really cool. So has your podcast been a strategy that's led to clients and or is it uh, more of an authority builder once people have already found you or what have you, how have you found that work for you? You know, it's been a little bit of all of that really, but as I said, it was sort of a tactical blunder when we started the show. I wanted to talk about the stuff that I was excited about, entertainment law. So I, I created this show with another lawyer, we're co-hosts, and we're talking about entertainment law, what's going on in the cases and the news and so on and so forth. Well, the reality is the people who really are interested enough to pay attention to that on a regular basis are other entertainment and media lawyers or law students. So as I said, training the competition, maybe not the best <laughs> strategy for uh, But when you train your competition, they start to recognize you as expert. You put it on your website, people go looking for you, they get referred to you, they they find your your body of work as, as it is, and uh, and they recognize the authority, the expertise, and, and uh, its position. So do people come to you specifically when they're having problems and they hire you as a lawyer or do you have online offerings as well? I have a bunch of online offerings. I mean, I'll, to, to back up on that, I wish people would come sooner in the game before they have problems because, you know, preventative medicine is always better than fix it when it's broken kind of medicine. So um, I do, I try to provide a, a raft of services and products for folks to uh, do that preventative care and things. And, and yeah, we have online courses, we have, uh, forms and templates and, and, uh, lots of free information out there on the web these days now too. So let's, let's back up a bit because I'm kind of wondering here, well, what does somebody need a podcast lawyer for? Like, I'm trying to think of like, why, if I have a podcast or, or even if I'm doing YouTube videos or any other type of content online, What's going to happen to me that I need a lawyer? <laughs> well, you know, these are these are extraordinarily powerful media. And as Spider-Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and also with great power comes the potential for causing pretty significant harm. You say the wrong thing about a person or you tell a story that is about someone that they would rather wasn't told. You invade their privacy or those kinds of things. Uh, you can get into some serious hot water relatively quickly without even sort of knowing it's happening at the, in the moment. So um, part of what we're trying to do is is help folks set up the protections in case those kinds of things happen, educate them on how to make sure they don't happen, but then set up some protections. So forming a corporation or a limited liability company as a business structure to house the podcast or the YouTube channel and keep it sort of separate from your own personal assets and, and identity um, when you're working with a team, you've got editors or, or producers or writers and folks like that, you know, in the copyright world, which is the, the world I live in, um, the author is the owner of stuff. And if they're not your employee, then they are the author. They're the owner. So we better have a written contract that specifies that, no, in fact, I, the payer, <laughs> own the material that's being created, those kinds of things. Um, but also, you know, sometimes just people get into... Um, uh, business together or, or doing a show together, not really thinking of it as a business. And then you end up with, um, uh, trouble when somebody wants to leave or somebody wants the other one to leave. So you end up with a podcast divorce, right? I like to do a podcast prenup to prevent that from happening. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a little brand I'm working on a podcast prenup to describe the various kinds of agreements or structures you can use to make sure everybody's clear at the beginning and, uh, and, uh, uh has that clarity protecting all the intellectual property, copyrights and trademarks. 
you choose a really good title for your show, you don't want six other shows coming into the marketplace with the same or very confusingly similar kinds of titles. And then, of course, when you start monetizing, then you'd really get into the contract nitty-gritty. It's so much. And I think in, in the olden days, media was so controlled by networks that they had corporate lawyers and stuff on site. They were like, oh, you can't say that and you can do that. And now anybody can just pick up a microphone, start recording stuff, and they can get themselves in a lot of trouble without realizing there's even laws about these sorts of things. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, when I started my training, it was the plan was I was going to go work at movie studios and do that kind of work in-house. And then as independent media grew, I, I recognized an opportunity uh, of a niche for myself. And here I am. Wow. That's that's awesome. It's yes, yeah, super niche and but very, very powerful. So I love that. So okay, so you generate clients through your own podcast. What other sorts of strategies do you do you use for your uh, to getting clients to making sales online? Well, you know, in professional services businesses, the the best source of of new business is your old business, referrals and return business, really. So it really comes down to just being really good at what we do and, and serving the clients well and uh, getting that word of mouth to to happen. And honestly, one thing that a lot of folks don't think to do is ask them to make the referrals. So that's always been a part of my strategy is to make sure that folks know, hey, if you're if you're happy with what you're what you've gotten from me, please tell your friends, tell anybody you can think of. And if you're not happy, tell me so I can make it right and do better next time. And that really lands well with clients. Uh, you know, some paid advertising is another aspect of how I uh, promote myself, but usually the paid ads are for my online, uh, like my lead magnets or, or a particular course that I'm promoting at a particular time, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, that sort of brings them in from the side door. Uh, right. to the professional services side. What? And you've used speaking engagements as well, oh, right? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I do a lot of speaking. I uh, I try to get out to the conferences that are relevant to my audience, my client uh, avatar, as it were. That's another thing that a lot of professionals forget to do is is get on stage in front of the people you actually want to hire you rather than your, your competition or your colleagues. It's very easy to go and talk about a high-level legal topic at a legal conference, but so what? <laughs> That's a really good point. I think, do you do more offline or have you found more referrals and business from offline um, in-person events or do you do a lot of online events or a combination? It's a it's a combination. I, I really like to get out and meet people and, and be on a stage in front of people. And, and again, it positions me as the authority and, and gets uh, good attention. But, you know, even before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of webinars and, and live kinds of, uh, I mean, online kinds of events. And that was working really well for me. With the webinar, I think everybody's expectations have changed and it's much more acceptable and common to meet somebody through a screen often the first several times before you actually, actually ever get to shake their hand. So they, they find you on your podcast or they get referred to you. Um, do you have... Do you have like a, a nurture process or something or, or even just in your online sales? How have you structured that, you know, once they've gotten into your sphere? Yeah, I should be really clear that the Entertainment Law Update podcast, because it's for other lawyers, we don't really do a call to action to a lead magnet or anything like that in there. I do another show called Legit Podcast Pro where I'm, it's actually a, a video live stream. I do a YouTube live stream that is also published as a podcast. I'm really audio first, but I let the viewers see me as I'm recording. And, um, 
in that one, there's always a call to action to one or the other of my lead magnets. You know, I have, I offer a free podcast guest release. I offer contract forms and templates, checklist for that podcast prenup I was talking about, sort of depending what we're, what I'm talking about. Those lead magnets all get people put onto my email list. And we do, we have a, a 10 or 12 email nurture sequence that they go through that talks about some of the other products and gives them some information about how to use the things they've got. And, uh, and then, yeah, we get into a little more of a direct, well, either come to the webinar sales pitch or, um, or, you know, buy my stuff kind of sales pitch. I love what you're doing because it's, it's really the core fundamentals of online marketing, right? Content creation, getting in front of people, getting the lead generated, moving them through, but it's so niche that it makes it unique. Like you, you totally are right here and you know exactly everything going on here and everything you've done is specifically geared to that really tight avatar that you know really well. Well, it's been a long road of trial and error and figuring it all out. I wish I'd had folks like you in the game, you know, 15 years ago to help me be more directed about it at the beginning. But uh, yeah, you know, in fact, it, it's a little, maybe not too niche. It's, it's very clear who I serve, but it's also really hard to target them using the existing tools on social media, advertising, you know, Facebook ads and things like that, because um, people don't often self-identify as podcaster unless they're just diehard into podcasting. But a lot of coaches and trainers, they think of themselves as a coach and they're using a podcast as a marketing tool. So it, it's a challenge sometimes. And and what I find really interesting is that you started a whole separate podcast for that different segment of your audience. And I think that's really important. Uh, one of the things we often talk about is that you know people are looking for a specific solution to a specific problem. Right when 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 somebody's sitting down at the keyboard and they're they've got a problem that they they want solved, they're typing whatever it is into the search of Google or YouTube. When they see the search results, they're not looking for a generic solution to their problem. Right, they're they're going to look for the one that is the most the closest to what they typed into the search. And so, even though probably those two audiences have some overlap, where uh, you know you're, you're talking about you know some very similar. Uh, subject matter, since the audiences are different, you know, you started a whole separate podcast and that's, you know, it's very similar advice that we would give somebody who has maybe a Facebook group and they're serving one segment of their audience in a Facebook group. And now they're like, well, now in addition to, uh, you know, helping this one audience with their fitness and health, you know, I also want to help these other people with, uh, with fitness and health. Well, and well, if one is stay at home moms and the other is diabetics, well, yeah, you you could have like a generic a generic Facebook group, but why not just start another one specifically for diabetics, and then it's a specific solution to a specific problem. Yeah, and, unless you're talking about specifically diabetic stay at home moms, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it it really is. You were saying it really is the fundamentals. You know, identify the the who it's for, what's their problem, agitate the the problem a little bit, and then offer a solution. And, uh, you know, if, if you identify a group that doesn't have the problem you're talking about, they turn you out. Right. Um, so, you know, the one thing I will say that, that I, I kind of learned the hard way is trying to be all things to all people is a little, you know, even starting the second podcast was a, you know, it was a calculated decision. I was already well, well into doing one and, and I then did the other, but, uh, um, you know, you want to focus on your, your zone of genius and really just squeeze all the juice out of what you've got there before you add something else because otherwise you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. I think a lot of people have it 
in their minds, well, I could just do this and I could just add this. And I'm like, that's almost like a, a different audience. That's like a whole other business you're starting. Like that's. It, it's the nature of entrepreneurs to be going a thousand directions at once. And <laughs> yeah. real success comes in the ability to rein that in and focus on one or two at a time. And, and as I said, squeeze all the juice out of it. So. I, I think it's really interesting what you're doing. And, and it, who would have thought 20 years ago that there'd be this subset of law that's like, mm-hmm. and that everyone could have an audience and say anything they want online and it would lead to all this. <laughs> well, and, and when it really, when it really comes down to it, that's why I do what I do. I really care that, uh, you know, everybody has something important to say and ideas are valuable and, and the ability to share them with the world, whether you're selling something or just selling the idea. Um, we should be able to do that safely and securely and know that we're, you know, be confident and bold in doing it because we know we've got the legal side of things backed up and we're not going to get in trouble for it. So that's my whole reason for being. The whole idea of using the podcast as that, you know, that, that umbrella that brings everybody in, but you're not necessarily expecting to make the sale as soon as they hit the podcast and they're, they're clicking a buy button, right? You've got a lead magnet, you've got a nurture sequence and so many people, you know, I think when they get into business for the first time or they're, you know, they're, they're new and, and this, this was us too, right? We, as soon as we learned how to generate leads and we generated our first couple leads, we're like, okay, we generated leads. They're going to buy. And they, then they, they, then they don't buy. And it's like, well, why didn't they buy? Are they, these leads are junk, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you have to have something, that free experience that's at the top of the funnel or the bottom of the pyramid, depending which model you want to follow. And and not have expectations that's an instant sale. I mean, maybe once in a while it is. And also I think that uh, one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs and coaches and folks have uh, a little bit of a uh, challenge with is understanding that, you know, a, a conversion rate in the single digits is actually not a bad thing. Well, if it's one, it's not so great, but if it's eight or nine or 10, that's a decent conversion rate, but you've got to make a lot of folks pay attention, get their, you know, no like, and trust before you're going to get even one of those. So it is a numbers game. And that's something that folks really need to focus on. Yeah. I think a lot of folks get these big ideas on what they want to do online and they have no idea how large of an audience, how many people they actually have to reach because they'll they'll throw out these random numbers. I want to make 20000 a month. I want to make $100,000 a month. And you're like, okay, well, let's break that down. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> If you're selling something that's $100. Yeah. Like, and so really there's a much bigger picture. There's so many leads that you have to generate, continue to nurture. And then when they're ready, you know, get, have a good system in in place that they're going to actually convert into a sale. Yeah. Another thing I think that a lot of marketers, uh, solo and small business owners, uh, neglect is allocating enough resources to the marketing and advertising. Uh, because if you need to, if you know you need to get 10,000 people onto your list every year or every six months or whatever, you know, you're going to have to spend some money to do that. And it's, you know, you want to turn on that cash machine. Great. You got to put some cash into it before you can start taking cash out. And, uh, you know, it, again, it's a numbers game. So if you, if you put a dollar in and you collect $2 out, you can do that all day long. And, uh, that's really figuring out how to make that work is really important. And we love paid advertising. We love paid traffic. But again, having those nurture systems and knowing that you convert and that you're not just throwing your money away, obviously, super important for the newbie to keep in mind because we see people jump into that too quickly when they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and, and that's really been a strategy that I uh, that I have 
sort of figured out on my own and I'm, I'm sort of trying to double down on it a little bit is I'm running inexpensive ads to my free experience so that I can then talk to them more without having to spend that money on advertising. Because a conversion ad is much more expensive than an engagement ad or, you know, just a, hey, notice me kind of an ad. So if I can run an ad to that, that just says, hey, do you, the, the one I use is for the guest release for podcasters. I have a little, I came up with, hey, do you practice safe guest? And, and uh, you know, I put a little, little double entendre in there. And it gets people's attention and, you know, the pattern interrupt. And then it, it, uh, uh, it gets them, oh yeah, I'll click on there. And then now that now they're on my list and I can hit them with that nurture sequence and send them my weekly newsletter and just keep reminding them so that when they're ready and they have the problem that I talked about, they remember to come to me. And, uh, I rarely run a, a paid ad to a direct to the sales page kind of thing. I'm curious, what are your next steps? Like, so you've got all of this stuff going. You seem to have your, your systems really dialed in. You really know your audience and how to reach them. Like, what's your next phase? Uh, my next step, I was just talking about this with my mastermind group uh, the other day, in my mastermind group the other day, is I think I need to ramp up my spend on advertising. Just what I was saying. I got to start putting more dollars into the machine so I can start taking more out. And I'm I'm struggling with a little mindset and the gut that doesn't want me to spend that money because, you know, kids going to college soon, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but I also have to make more. So I, once I get my head around that, I'll, I'll be ramping up the ad spend. Um, and to do that, I think I'll get more comfort out of it if I can see that I've got a better ability to target my intended market. So that's real. I'm looking for the right answers to that. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's a really good point that not, not just about the ad spend, uh, because that's, that's, you know, the best way to scale it in, in my, in my opinion, but the gut right? That everybody, and I think everybody has this, like when you start putting money in ads, like that, there's that fear that, oh, what if this doesn't work? What if I waste my money and all these things? And then, um, and I remember running ads for our, not even just our first time, but even our first couple of years, like we had, it was trying to get over this. Like every time you push the publish button on those ads, you're like, there's that fear. And then you're watching, like you're checking your ads like multiple times a day, like, oh, did I get a conversion? Did I get a lead? What's my ad cost? And blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the ad cost goes up a little bit and you panic and you turn it off. And then you're like, what did I do wrong? And you're, like, you're analyzing every these, you know, these little things. And as we, as we do this longer, we've learned that, well, your, your ad cost is going to fluctuate throughout the day and it's even going to fluctuate day to day. And, uh, you know, it, it's best just to look at things that, in like seven day chunks. Like what was my ad cost this week? What was my ad cost last week? And it's really hard to do that when, you know, you're putting $20 a day into it and, and you don't see results right away. And you know, the next day and the next day and, oh, it got good results one day, but then the next day it was not so good. And weathering those ups and downs is really tough for a lot of people. So there's a lot of mindset involved. You know, it's a little like the, when you go on a diet, and you, you don't want to look at the scale every single day because it'll be demoralizing. It's the same with that ad. Yeah, spend, exactly. Know? Allocate a budget and then let it go or, or get someone else to do the worrying for you and not report to you every single day because, yeah, it'll it'll take the wind out of your sail. One bad day takes the wind out of your sails and that ruins the energy for everything else that day. So got to be I really careful. I, I was just realizing I, 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 uh, someone I, I follow had a giant launch. He had a $12 million launch. Uh, in the course of like a five day, you know, live webinar kind of thing. Um, and everybody's gone, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it turned out he spent $3 million on ads <laughs> leading up to this launch. So everything is, you know, is, 
in in perspective. And if that launch hadn't gone well, boy, you know. So you got to know you got to have an offer that converts. You got to know that your system is going to work, and so you do start small and then scale. And uh, uh, yeah, but when you start getting into those bigger numbers, it it is much more challenging to push that go button on the ads, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Right. Yeah, we we've seen that time and time again, and having. And we're a big advocate. Have a coach. Have someone that's guiding you through the process because you will, f- you will have all these little micro freakouts that you just don't need to have. And you need to have that coach be like, "Take a breath. It's okay. Leave it another day. We'll take a look at it tomorrow. You're okay. Leave it alone." Like, <laughs> yeah. And and that's the other thing. Like, we just had a client that came to us and she's like, "Oh, you know, my my ads aren't performing. Should I turn them off?" And she'd only spent like thirty six bucks, um, and hadn't gotten a lead. Which I mean, you know, thirty six dollars. You should you should be getting some leads. But when we looked at the numbers, the thing is, the ads were doing their job, like because uh, if the thing to keep in mind with ads is that just because you didn't generate a lead, just because you didn't get a sale, doesn't mean that the ad wasn't working. So when we looked at the numbers, we looked at oh, what's her click through rate? Like out of everybody that saw the ad, how many people clicked? Well, her click rate was great. Then we looked at what her link click rate was, which is another metric that we always look at. So how many people actually clicked on the link to go to her landing page to opt in? And that was great. And so we're like, well, there's interest here. Like, and this is her very first ad. Uh, there's interest here. Like people are clicking on this, but the issue isn't with the ad. For some reason, they're getting to your landing page and they're just not opting in. Well, when we looked at what she was doing, um, she had put the wrong link in there. She had put like the preview link for her. She had gotten a preview link for her funnel that she had put in. So thankfully, you know, we looked at that. Um, but yeah, we were able to fix that. But yeah, just because you get some data back and it's not exactly what you want doesn't mean that your ad wasn't working. A lot of times there's other issues. Well, yeah. And, and so that's, again, why you ramp up from a small start, right? Yes. To, you know, to make sure the machine works at, at slow speed before you crank it up to, you know, full throttle. Um, but also another component of this, uh, when you're doing that, the goal isn't to get the lead, the sales or the leads. The goal is to make sure the machine works. Once you do that, then you can start doing it because you can't trust small numbers. They're, the statistics aren't relevant until you get into a big enough sample. I mean, nobody is going to trust a drug that had a clinical trial of 10 users. <laughs> you want to know that a million people took this drug and nobody got bad effect, bad side effects, Right. Well, at least most of us act that way. <laughs> so why would you think that spending $100 or, or $300 or whatever and getting a small number of leads into the funnel gives you enough meaningful data to make any decisions? I think we have to make a, a bigger commitment. And that, again, is where the mindset comes in. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing. Like um, One of the things that we've noticed with Facebook ads, uh, especially within the last last maybe three to six months, is that they're they're relying like they're taking away targeting options, yes. Um, and they're they're relying more on the algorithm and AI and those sorts of things <clears throat> to figure out who to target with your ad. And so you have to rely more on your creative and everything else. And also, there's more of a uh, th- there's more of a optimization period. So we know that with our ads, and we typically start our ads, you know, maybe a hundred or two hundred dollars a day. So it's, it's more than most people, but you've already got some confidence that you know what you're doing with this, right? So, yeah. Yeah. But still, we know that the first couple of days of, of results are not going to be accurate. It's not going to be what it is long-term. And it's usually a lot higher. 
But after two or three days, that's when we can really make the judgment of whether this ad is going to work well or not, because that's the point where, you know, Facebook has figured out, okay, who is slowing down the scroll and look, not even clicking, but you know, they've got like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of little things that they look at to see who is responding to your ad. So who is clicking, who is hovering their mouse over this, who is, um, you know, who's pausing to watch the video or whatever type of ad you got, and then who's clicking and then not even who's opting in, but who's just clicking to read, how long are they reading for? And they've got all these little metrics that they look at to, to zero in on who's going to respond to your ad the best. And that takes some time to do. So we know that, you know, the first couple of days of results, if you don't get leads, well, not a big deal, but if after two or three days, then yeah, sure. Make a judgment. But yeah, it takes some time just to optimize your ad now because we rely so much more on the algorithm and everything else rather than manual targeting like we used to do two or three years ago. Yeah, you know, earlier today I, I uh, watched one of your videos that that re- was a little bit of a revelation to me is that uh, you were talking about the story ads with the photo that doesn't look like a polished advertising right. photo, you know, it was more of a candid uh, because that's what people post in their streams. So you want to see, you know, it's going to be, you don't scroll right past it. Oh, that's an ad. And I thought that was really brilliant. So that's something I'm going to try is get away from the highly produced looking content, do the, do the pattern interrupt and get into the story and, and that kind of thing and, and see where that takes me. Um, that, thank you for that. It was a, a great uh, insight. And, uh, that's the other thing is just got to experiment with things a little bit. Absolutely. So what is the best way that people connect with you? How do they how do they learn more about you and what you do? You can find me by typing my name, gordonfiremark.com. <laughs> it's the easiest way to reach me. And uh, right on that page is is a list of some of the resources, the freebies and things that I have to offer, as well as the, uh, uh, the online courses and my book and those kinds of things. So gordonfiremark.com, that's the way. Or on social media, Chief Firemark. And I, I highly suggest everyone check out everyone who's interested in podcasting. Make sure you set yourself up the right way. Get a guest release template from him so that you're being safe about this. And look for me on YouTube. I try to try to be a little entertaining there from time to time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks, you guys. I had a fun time. You've been listening to the Digital Trailblazer podcast. For show notes and information about today's guests, head to digitaltrailblazer.com. Now, if you love this episode, if you got some value, make sure you leave us a review and subscribe. And be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who could use help to build their business. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.